In the Shadow of the Ratliff Hotel by Dean Peterson. Gertie opened his eyes and felt the need to pee. The crickets and birds had remained mute all through his afternoon search of the tiny town and all through the long pink twilight. He finally broke out his iPod speakers in the parking lot and listened to Johnny Cash as he cooked rice and spam on a propane burner. He had bedded down in the back of his Jeep, kicking around thoughts about what to do next. One of the other guys who was wounded in that ambush was now in Spokane, which would be another long drag of books on CD and energy drinks, but he still felt the need to talk to Sergeant Carson again. Now laying on his back in the blue evening light, he watched the hordes of mosquitoes needling over the nylon of his sleeping bag, the official bird of the Mountain West, the wire-legged carriers of West Nile virus. He did not want to get out of bed and pee, but the only container he had in the jeep was still half-filled with Red Bull. He pulled himself from the bedding in the cramped quarters of the jeep, fumbled for his prosthesis, opened the hatch, and then crunched a little ways off on the gravel in the semi-darkness. He didn't see much point in seeking cover, since the mountains and ridges and millions of miles between him and everyone else would probably do the trick. He looked down at his metal leg and wondered what it would be like to stay up here. No more prying eyes on his fake limb. No more awkward conversations about it. No one offering to buy him a beer for his service, as if that would fix the problem. As he unzipped his fly, he looked up and his jaw dropped slightly. The whole sky was a pulsating shroud of white and silver pinpricks of light sparkling through the navy purple darkness. It was the most beautiful thing he had seen in a long time, and it made disappearing into the mountains seem like a step in the right direction. He stared at it for a long time, before he finally did his business in the gravel, and started zipping up. Then his blood froze. One solitary bank of windows on the otherwise darkened main street flickered in the night. His muscles tensed. He held his breath in the dark and listened. No sound. No sign of life all day. And then someone turns on the lights in one of the ancient buildings. His mind conjured the image of a faceless figure with rasping breath and long nails pulling back the swallows of curtains in the windows as he had passed by earlier that day. He felt himself groping for his rifle, wishing he still wore one, and could feel its reassuring rigid plastic when he was scared, like a talisman made by some magician at the Colt Armory in Hartford, Connecticut. It kept him safe from the turbaned and sandaled who bore RPGs and ghoulish grins on the breaking waves of violence. He frowned as he mulled the idea over. He slid under the railing, the wooden contrivance that protected an old way of life from cars, an Xbox, and half a century of TV dinners. He stopped and listened. It was still quiet. No bugs, no birds, no sound of footsteps on the floorboards of the distant building glowing in the dark. Grady felt the cold night air pricking at his skin. As the hair on his neck rose, he abandoned any pretense of bravery and headed for the shadows cast by the buildings along the side of the road. The thud of his heart grew louder as the flickering light of the building got closer. A memory caught him. He had been a kid, a teenager wandering in the woods with his buddies by the Susquehanna River. They came upon a perfect circle of boulders arranged around the remains of a bonfire. The surrounding rocks had strange symbols with odd bends and angles scribbled onto them in black charcoal. The biggest one bore an inverted star inside of a circle, drawn with something rust-colored and thick. The teasing and cursing and huffing of the bushwhacking teens muted as their eyes surveyed the grim scene and tried to place meaning to it. This odd scab had waited in the private wilderness of their adolescence. They walked around the clearing and noticed the bleach white of bones that protruded from the ruins of the fire. What looked like ribs with a smattering of white vertebrae rested like biscuits over the charred ground. In Ratliff, Grady stopped in his tracks on the boardwalk, as figures in black hoods bobbed and weaved in his mind to some throaty chant by the firelight in the building up ahead. 
The cold prick of the air drew up the flesh on Grady's exposed arms and remaining leg. The lit-up building loomed closer as he slowly walked. Grady held his breath and ventured a peek over the splintered window casing. Lamps with tin backings hung from the walls where their lighted wicks flickered. The tables and chairs of the space had been pushed out against the walls, leaving tracks amid the footprints and the sawdust on the floor. A thin, young man, dressed in an old-timey black suit, stood in the middle of the room. His back was to the window, and he was hunched forward, embracing someone as they swayed together. Dancing to music Grady couldn't hear, the black-clad man took a step back and pivoted, exposing his right profile to Grady. Grady saw the face of a familiar stranger. He saw the thin, suntanned skin stretched tightly over his face, the concave hollow between his cheekbones, the same familiar eyes. But now the man Grady recognized had a fine whiskered beard, and his black hair was thick and wavy and wild, unlike the clean-shaven soldier Grady had known. On the other side of the window, Sergeant Carson flashed a crooked smile that Grady had forgotten about long ago, an expression that came from another time, last seen in the sun shining on the water of the Adriatic as they went for their last hurrah before the deployment. There were times after that, of course. But soon it had all disappeared as an entire battalion of iPhone-loving young men were baked and shriveled in sun-fired days. They had all stopped smiling at some point, and only stared beady-eyed and twitchy from under the furnaces of their helmets, clutching their weapons for the next awful incident. They were all crushed under an exhausted weariness that never left them, and never let them rejoin the smiling, laughing ranks of their twenty-something peers at ball games and Six Flags. The man on the other side of that window had discovered something that brought back that jovial, crooked grin, though. His familiar eyes were alive, and Grady sighed with relief just to see that his old NCO was okay. And then Grady felt himself frown. His mind groped for any other possibility. They all failed, though, when he saw Carson's arms grip the air in front of him and pull some unseen partner towards his own body. He wrapped his arms around it, leaned in and lecherously wrapped his tongue around the thin air in front of him. Grady's jaw dropped in the darkness. Every horrible thing he'd heard about them, the walking wounded and the shell-shocked, the vets who stumbled around in psych wards, twilling and blinking, and hiding under beds for fear of mortar attacks and artillery strikes deep in the heart of Spokane or Phoenix. Was that Carson now? Their fearless leader dressed like an 1800s undertaker, an amorous glow on his face as he intensely embraced some invisible blow-up doll. Grady's heart sank, and he lurched forward and slammed the old plate glass with the flat of his palm, hoping it was all just some spell he could break. Sergeant, Grady called. Sergeant Carson loosened its grip on the imaginary paramour and squinted at the window. Sergeant Carson, Grady yelled again. Carson stared at the figure calling him on the other side of the glass with a stupefied expression. Sergeant, he yelled through the glass. It's me. Carson stared at Grady with a look of bona fide confusion. Grady turned and made for the front door but found it secured with a hasp and master lock. He looked up at the lock, wondering if his old NCO could somehow open a door locked from the outside. But Carson was gone. Grady looked back down at the lock and then grabbed the doors and shook them. He turned away and hurry hobbled down the plank walk, then turned onto the gravel of an alley between the building and its neighbor. He shot down the alleyway, panting in the thin air, then rounded the back corner of the building. There was a bulkhead at the back of the building. He rushed to it and pulled open the heavy hatch. Stone steps led down into the dark below the building. Sergeant Carson! He yelled into the cold void as the smell of must hit him. His ears perked in the silence for any noise. Maybe the sound of footsteps. The sound of someone breathing. Carson! He called again. His voice seemed like a sacrilege in the dark quiet of the night. There was no response.
So that does it for this week. I hope you're enjoying In the Shadow of the Ratliff Hotel. If you can't wait for next week when we'll have the next chapter out, I have another audiobook called Anna Schutz that I started writing when I was stationed in Germany. It's about a suicidal private who starts to see the ghosts of people who were stationed on his base during World War II, including a white-clad phantom that he sees running through the woods and who he becomes obsessed with. He even tries to solve her murder. That one, like this story, is completely free. The link to it is down below. Again, it's called Anna Shoots if you want to check it out. Otherwise, I'll have another chapter of In the Shadow of the Ratliff Hotel to you, hopefully within about a week. Thanks.